Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Uh, Rob, uh, Rod Babers, RV, we'll be back tomorrow, he tells me. We'll see. We're crossing our fingers. He did give me a nice text yesterday about lunchtime that he had been taken home after his procedure yesterday morning to extract his wisdom teeth and uh, he was resting and uh, he'll be in tomorrow but uh, there were those who told me yesterday that they have been through that and would be surprised if he was able to talk without any pain and uh, be able to do it clearly by Wednesday we'll see we'll see uh, Rod is a uh, high pain tolerant guy I think he'll be here but can he talk clearly becomes the question uh, that we'll have but we are certainly crossing our fingers for our guy RB uh, and look who it is he's back in for his second stint to wrap up the show last couple of hours our man Mike Craven and Mike uh, during our at the turn segment last hour halfway through our five hour day we I asked again about the restaurants and stop spots you frequent on a Texas game day for your book that you're writing and man Posse East is the strong winner Posse East Posse East I'll write that down we must have gotten eight ten votes for Posse East and then Texas Chili Parlor that you already mentioned, Dirty Martins, which you already mentioned. Um, yeah, but Posse East, man, strong, strong. Ty, are you a big fan of Posse East? Uh, I mean, it's really small. I used to go there a decent amount, but it's – I'd much rather go to Crown and Anchor. I'll say that. Okay. Uh, but Posse East is a little bit of an easier, easier walk to the stadium. Am I right about that? They're both, like, right there. Okay, good. Uh, somebody says, oh, gosh, 800 milligrams of Motrin, and Rod will be fine. Little Motrin, Rod, little, little yeah. painkiller. Put some dirt on it. Yeah, Thrain's a football player. Football player. Uh, well, speaking of football players, we talked earlier, Mike, and I saw your tweet about this. <laughs> the uh, the Diana Rossini report that Mike Vrabel turned off NFL owners maybe because he's too physically intimidating and imposing. What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, it's. Uh, I I find it great. Like some of those things are awesome because they remind you that like you're not the only idiot in the world. You know that there's like multi million dollar execs out there that are also just dummies, like your neighbor that argues with you about just the most ridiculous stuff. And so, uh, I'm not surprised. Like, I think a lot of these guys want to hire somebody they can be friends with. You know, and I, I think that's probably one of the the worst parts of the hiring process in general, right? And that's why. You know, maybe not a lot of minorities get hired in the NFL and stuff like that. You want to you want to hire the people your buddies with that you can go golfing with that you are feel comfortable and can hang out with. Uh, and Vrabel's a big, tough, no nonsense guy who probably doesn't want to go hang out with the owners. He doesn't want to kiss babies and shake hands. He wants to coach football. Um, and, and he didn't get the job because of that. It sounds like. Well, according to Diana Rossini, who heard that from some people at the Senior Bowl, that uh, yeah, his his physical stature and his intimidating size was a was a put off or turn off like. He's a football player. I mean, what do you think these guys are that we're watching on Sundays? These are football players. A lot of them are big uh, and intimidating. That's – I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, – that, that is – you just well said. I mean, there's there's uh, really rich people that are not real smart either. That Because uh, that is – I mean, if you're looking for the best coach, you're looking for the best teacher, you know, Mike Vrabel has shown, I mean, he can coach the game. He can teach it. You can mo- motivate his team. If it's, I mean, it is the same thing as, as uh, color of skin. If it, if that's a turnoff to you, then that's you're you're doing a bad job of your requirements for hiring people because you're using something he has no control over. He's just a big, strong guy because he's a football player. But can he coach? Can he develop players? Motivate a locker room? Unite a locker room and uh, motivate you know grown men. He made a program, uh, a team with Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback into a pretty consistent playoff contender and division title contender. Yeah. I mean, that's all you need to know. Um, I think you want your head coach 
to be a little big and tough and, and no nonsense. We talked about that a little bit yesterday because those are the kind of guys he's coaching, right? He's not coaching a bunch of boardroom execs. He's, he's coaching a bunch of dudes who are 6'5", 220, and run 4'3". And boardroom execs who hire, though, right? And that's the right. conversation because now they, they're all hiring. Nothing against any of these coaches, but like Mike McDaniel. Yeah, a bunch of dorks. little old nerdy guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, they can all coach, right? I mean, they wouldn't be there. Um, and if they don't be – any of them coach, they'll get rooted out pretty quick. Uh, by that lot, that that league, but at the same time, yeah, they can come in all sizes and uh, colors and all those things. It's a, uh, it, it's an interesting conversation. But yeah, too big and intimidating. Uh, would the GM think he's going to beat him up? <laughs> <laughs> Take his lunch money? Yeah, uh, you're going to bully me. Well, I, look, I would add to that that there was the reports, there were the reports in Tennessee that he you know, didn't get along with uh, his his general managers, and sometimes it maybe got a little, you know prickly what you know that's that's business that's mm-hmm. that's uh sometimes that's the way it works but uh, obviously Mike Vrabel the reason we're talking about that is is he actually a candidate for the Cowboys defensive coordinator job we will see this says guys completely disagree with Ty Posse East expands out uh on game day and is at least as big as crown and anchor love their queso and they have a nice selection of food mm, so there you go Ty not so much I, that's it's no it's maybe half the size of of crown and anchor yeah, well, have you been? Have you been to? Have you been to both, Mike? I've have you never been to both? Been to either places? I have. Day. I have not. I. I'm not. They're very similar. I will say. I'm. I'm not saying Posse's is bad. It's just it, I like to have a little bit more room, and, and there's a little bit more sun, sun sunny area at uh, Crown and Anchor. Those sound like crowded places, and I. I don't do. Really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nice because it's. It's literally like a maybe a six to seven minute walk to the stadium. Okay. Uh, I, I, I have never been to either on game day. Now, I've been to both on a non-game day, but I've never been on a game day. I, again, now, most of my life at game days, I've been at And I will say the service at Posse East leaves they, – they have a little bit of um, – I mean, have you all ever noticed the service at a Texas Chili Parlor, how kind of their thing is bad service? Like it's mm-hmm. just part of yeah. the part of the establishment. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I don't yes. mind it. Yeah, me either. I don't but, mind it. Plus, but, like bad how? Like rude? Yes. Well, and, it's just – yeah, it's just a little – you know, they let you linger. A little bit. It's not. They're not going to race over to you every single time your your drink's half full or anything like that. But I, one of the things I enjoy doing is finding like restaurants on Yelp that are like three and a half stars because you know the food is great, but like the service may not be up to standard, you know. And you, you can you can go in there and beat the crowds. Uh, it's a little hack of mine because I don't care so much. Craven hack because I don't need I don't need to be waited on as a I'm an emperor. And some people get on Yelp and they get upset if like their their tea was empty for two seconds or oh. something like that. And I'm fine with it. I need the the food is great service not all that good three and a half stars that's my kind of place yeah yeah i mean the the, the karens as they say yeah. uh who, i want to be left alone anyway i hate well, i don't like when service industry people are like always at your table asking you if you need another thing like you need it you know, it's like just let me eat man. i'm with you like even going into a store i mean can i help you i'm like i'll let you know I mean, yeah just just here looking i understand that's part of your job and you get that but if, you know one time's fine but don't keep coming over to me i'm good uh, but I, I think you're right. I like that. But yes, and the, but the, like the Karens, as they would call them, are people that are looking to be angry about something all mm-hmm. the time. They're they're just gonna be, and I think everybody knows people like that, or, or you just avoid people like that. They just they're they're gonna find something to bitch about. That's just kind of their nature. And uh, you know, unfortunately for some white staff and for some uh, industry folks, sometimes they are, they're they get in the crosshairs of those folks. But uh, uh, good good point though. The the, the Craven hack. The Craven hack. 
three and a half star restaurants that are maybe there because of service, but the food's great. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah, food food more important than the service to me. That that could be different for others. My my late grandmother was one of those people who would just like get on wait staff. It was like so hard to go out to dinner with her because of how tough she was on wait staff. Um, so I've always been pretty lenient in what I expect, you know, because I'm not eating at eighty dollar a meal, you know, places usually, and no, you're gonna really. you're gonna get what you pay for, right? That's right. It says I think the reporter concerning Mike Vrabel may have worded it wrong. I, I kind of wondered that aloud too when we talked about it earlier. Did she? Is that what she meant, or did she mean maybe he's just prickly and can can be a bully at times? I don't know. But it was Diana Rossini. Uh, from the Senior Bowl. All right, so we'll get into the Super Bowl. We'll hear more from Super Bowl opening night last night, which was fun, and, you know, starting the festivities. Have you ever covered a Super Bowl, Mike? I have not. I have not. Well, we'll talk about that coming up. You've covered a lot of huge games, though, and big games in the college level and the high school level. But right now, let's go to the Vaqueros hotline because he's got a few minutes this morning. And uh, one of the first people I thought of when I heard of the passing of Toby Keith overnight was our friend Craig Flowers, uh, Colonel Retired, because I know he's told me in our airwaves a a number of times some Toby Keith stories. Colonel, good morning. And uh, sad news for sure with uh, the passing of Toby Keith overnight. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Mike, nice to talk with you. It's uh, Miss Beth woke me up this morning with tears in her eyes about um, uh, the the passing of uh, the big dog, Daddy. Uh, I was just with him just a, a couple of months ago at Remington Park. Uh, just a remarkable man. We had, we shared some light moments together, but uh, yeah, we you know we probably spent in total. Uh, you know, a day and a half together, but several of those hours were one-on-one. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about the man that maybe you didn't you didn't know. Um, you know, he went to Afghanistan and Iraq so many times, uh, but but unlike many of the entertainers that go over there, uh, Toby uh, always insisted on on going to the forward operating bases. He was not interested in the in the big, you know places and you know cafeterias and the behind the you know the security he wanted to get out where where many of the special operators uh were taking care of business who hadn't seen um people in in many many months and you know he he was a pretty courageous guy and and there were so many stories to tell but you know there were times where toby would be dead asleep at a forward operating base in afghanistan and iraq and some guys would come back from from a mission at you know two in the morning, three in the morning, a small team, and uh, uh, Toby always insisted, "Hey, when the when the when the boys get back in, someone wake me up." And uh, they would literally, you know, knock on a piece of plywood that was kind of four pieces of plywood making a room for him, where he slept on a cot, and uh, they would wake him up, and he'd put on a bandana and grab his guitar and throw some water on his face and go out, and these guys had. And, and literally sit around a uh, you know a little area with six or eight special operators and just talk to them, and then you know eventually he'd say, "Listen, you know I'm not here to put on a show, but I, I brought my guitar if you if you want to hear a song or two." And of course they did, and he would uh, uh, just do a great job. You know that song, uh, uh, "Don't Let the Old Man In." And, and, he had to explain that on on YouTube what that meant, but he told us. I was with him at Remington Park. He's uh, one of his best friends is Danny Caldwell, who owns a bunch of horses there at Remington Park, and 
uh, in Oklahoma, and, and he had a suite, and he said, hey, when the mil- when your two military guys get here, bring them over. So myself and another colonel uh, came went over to Toby's um, suite there, and uh, Toby was – he had just ordered a big plate of spaghetti, believe it or not. He loves spaghetti with meat sauce, but he hadn't touched it, hadn't eaten a bite of it. He was, he was sick, and we kind of knew um, that – you know, it gotten in his blood, and it was, was just a matter of time. But he um, he said, you know, I'm gonna, you know, good to see you again. And uh, then he said, I'm I'm gonna go do three shows in Vegas. Uh, actually, it was two shows. And he said it'll be out tomorrow. Uh, I said I think I can do it. And they were the shows were in early December. Well, those shows sold out in just a couple hours. So we ended up doing a third show in Vegas. And uh, anyway, he said that. You know, the song Don't Let the Old Man In, he said, I was riding in a golf cart with Clint Eastwood. And he said, I didn't realize that after I sang that song at the AMAs or whatever it was, um, or the CMAs, that everyone thought it was about me. He said, it wasn't. Um, He said, I was shocked. Everyone was in tears when I finished singing. And and he said, I I was with Clint Eastwood in a golf cart, and I was staring at Clint. And Clint looked at me and said, what are you looking at? And uh, he said, well, my two heroes were John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. And John's no longer with us, so I'm I'm looking at you. And uh, Clint said, well, quit looking at me like that. And he said, well, how do you do it? You know, Clint's in his 90s. And uh, Clint looked at him and said, I don't let the old man in. And so <laughs> he went back to his hotel in like 20 minutes. He wrote that song. Um, and he sent it to Clint and of course it became Clint said, I like the song. Let's put it in the movie. And so the, the movie that Clint did, you know, last year, uh, before that, that song is part of that movie, but that, that song is a tribute to Clint Eastwood, but how he wrote a song was interesting. You may find that fascinating is that he wrote it like a, a spoke. Uh, he, he, you don't think of the broken spoke, but he, he would, come up with the center of the spoke in this case it was you know don't let the old man in and then he would each little vignette is was the spoke of the wheel uh, then he would come back to the center of the spoke and that was his his tactical approach to writing a song just a remarkable guy i had him i had him at west point at eisenhower hall the second largest theater on the east coast and whenever we had an artist there I would give him a tour of West Point, Kenny Rogers, a bunch of others. And Toby was unique in that he had been abroad, you know, many times more than most soldiers uh, into, like I said, way off far places. And so I, I was giving him a little tour, telling him about the the cadets that he was about to get in front of. And there were 4,000 seats. Of course, it was sold out. And so uh, I'm sitting on his bus with him. It's just the two of us. And he was a, obviously a big OU fan. And I'm talking to him, and he's not looking at me. He's looking up at the TV screen that he had on his bus, and it was a f- football game. And then finally he turned the TV off, and he looked at me, and he was just staring at me hard. And he, he said, uh, and I'm just rambling on about, you know, the crowd and what he needs to say and what he can say. And, and so he finally says, so, uh, Colonel, they tell me you're a – you're from Texas. And I said, yeah, that's right. I'm a fourth generation Texan. And he goes, so you're a Longhorn. And I said, 
And then I kind of took over the conversation. And I sat <laughs> up and looked at him. I said, let me tell you something, Toby Keith. I said, and Greg Swindell would appreciate this because it said with with love, I said, let me tell you something, Toby Keith. I'm a horned frog, and, and I married a sooner. And I said a couple other things, and he started laughing. And uh, we were drinking a, a a beer, and about two minutes later, there was a big bang on the door on his bus, and it was the manager. And he said, okay, Tobe, uh, they're ready for you. The opener had just finished, and and he uh, he said, no, no, no. He said, uh, tell him to play another song. I'm going to sit here. We're going to have another beer. Uh, uh, he goes, we're going to spend a little more time together. So I got another I don't know, 15, 20 minutes sitting there with him one-on-one. He's just a, you know, they don't make him like that. Um, just a, a remarkable, a remarkable guy who uh, we had a great conversation uh, in Remington Park and bigger than life, just a big man. And he knew how to get a, a crowd going. And, you know, when he sang a song, he was, he was telling a story and, and I always valued the, the stories that he would tell and, and I'm glad that uh, you reached out to me this morning to kind of talk about the big dog, Daddy. We're sure going to miss him. Um, he was not in good health and had lost a bunch of weight. And and we, we walked out of um, his suite there at Remington Park, and I think it was in November, knowing that that was likely the last time that we were going to get to see him again. So um, just kind of a heartbreaking story, but what a great life and the legacy will will live on and as as you say you know music's a big part of your life you just watched the the grammy awards and mm-hmm. there were some greats there and and toby keith will be among some of the greatest no question thank you craig appreciate it uh, colonel good stuff right there and i uh, knew you could tell some stories i know it's a hard day for you and uh, and you and miss beth there in the state of oklahoma uh thanks for doing it i know you're out there you're at the air at out camp right are you out in abilene out in west texas We'll head to Abilene with the great David Thomas and Cody Hodges uh, this Friday. Uh, in fact, you know, I tell you, we got to take care of ourselves, gentlemen. I know you're 50 now, E. And uh, Alan Wardis just had a couple of stints put in out in Abilene, had some heart issues. But David Thomas, Cody, and myself are going to do a uh, Air It Out Academy this weekend in Abilene, 25 of the top quarterbacks and receivers in the great state. And of course, we're up here in Oklahoma taking care of, you know, our, our my mother-in-law here. And uh, um, but I'm I'm probably two weeks out of most months uh, in the great state. Was just just in Round Rock speaking at a Texas high school baseball convention. So um, I'm uh, in and around quite a bit. So um, uh, appreciate you guys, but I always got the horn app and always listening. Uh, to Thanks, you all. Buddy. It's good to hear your voice this morning, Mike. We'll see you on the high ground. Thanks, Colonel. There you go, Craig uh, Flowers with some good stories on Toby Keith. Just recently saw him in November, and I knew Colonel would uh, be able to wax uh, wax poetic on uh, his good front, good buddy, as he said. Uh, and yeah, that, those are the cool stories that Colonel knows that uh, he didn't just uh, you know go over and see our troops who were serving. He wanted to go deep inside and talk to and meet with the ones that were you know on the front lines, which is uh, very Toby Keith like. But I didn't I didn't know this. I knew he was, had a football background, uh, Mike, but. Um, he, when he, he found himself unemployed early on in the 80s uh, during the oil, oil crash, 
and he, he went out and played uh, defensive end for the semi-pro Oklahoma City Drillers <laughs> while he was continuing to play music. But he's looking to make some money. He's a big guy. And this is this is back in the 80s football. The Drillers were the unofficial farm club of the United States, foot, the U, USFL's Oklahoma Outlaws. So there you go, Toby Keith. Good dude. Hate yeah, to see that. 9-11 happened when I was a junior in high school. Um, and so a lot of I had a decent amount of friends kind of go into the to the military and, and they always talked about how important it was to kind of see some of those faces and, and some people that don't need to be there, don't have to be there, but they come over and visit them. So I know that that's important to, to those guys over there and women. Certainly is. And yeah, we woke up to that this morning. Sad to see it for sure. And uh, Colonel Flowers uh, from the high ground. Good to hear him and uh, good to have that that conversation. Uh, okay, so uh, Mike Craven is here. He's got uh, good good conversations, and you never have covered a Super Bowl. I was mentioning earlier that having covered several, I mean, cover meaning Radio Row, right? You go do radio shows from the Super Bowl, and it's a lot of fun. You meet a lot of cool people, but uh, it is interesting. I'm not sure what the strategy is with the NFL because normally, I mean, the game's not till Sunday. So if you're going to cover the Super Bowl as a radio person, you try to get there by Wednesday maybe and do shows Thursday, Friday morning. Like even having been there, like Monday morning, there's nobody there. Like it's, there's nothing happening typically. By Tuesday, more radio stations are showing up. By Wednesday, uh, but you know you're you're a, a writer, uh, Mike. So it's a you know the, the, to have the Roger Goodell State of the League news conference, which is a big event for a lot of the media, because you know you want to write the story, you want to ask your question about your particular team, because you know 32 beat writers and team you covering teams, bloggers, you want to ask your question of the commissioner the one time a year you get that opportunity. You know, typically about what's going on in your market and you know so conversations being had there, so you can re- your readers can you know get the commissioner's thoughts on X, Y, and Z. But they had it on Monday, and it was what I saw was that it was invite only, which was interesting. Like I think they were trying to keep out some of the. You know, the the deep blogger kind of people, I guess, for whatever reason. But to have it on Monday, I thought was a little bit weird. I mean, uh, because you, I mean, because if you're covering, you got to get there on Sunday to cover the Monday commissioner's press. And now you're here all week. Yeah. I mean, then <laughs> they had Super Bowl opening night last night. Seems like it's. Uh, I guess they want to have people there all week long. I just know if I were you or a member of the media, to get there Sunday and then have to be there all the way until the game on Sunday and then file your story afterward. That's a long week. It's like the Sugar Bowl. I, you know, I got there Tuesday for a game on Monday, um, you know, and didn't I? And then the, there wasn't a flight out on the second, so I stayed until the third. Um, so I feel I was there for for a whole week in New Orleans, which isn't a bad place to get stuck. If you're going to be somewhere for a week, Vegas isn't the worst place. You're right about that. Um, to be, I wonder how much the location played a part in that. But they do seem to spread it out more and more and more, and and I think that's kind of the NFL's way of going to business, right? They've taken over 12 months of the calendar. They're not, they don't just stick. Like, I, I think they try to stay in the news cycle as much as possible. So getting that out of the way on Monday uh, gets them kind of a kickstart into the week, and then it can be sure. more about the football as the week goes on. But, yeah, right that's, a, that's a, long, it's a long business week for sure. It is, if that's your job. But I would say if you're you – know, maybe it'll be good for the media guys that are out there because you now you have a week's worth of stories you can write yeah. because of that, having that on Monday. Normally they would do it on Wednesday or Thursday. I also know, having covered enough Super Bowls in Houston, New Orleans, Arizona, uh, Thursday is the day that the musical talent shows up. Like they do a pre- big press conference and they do a big uh, uh, welcome the the halftime performer. In which this year it's Usher. Uh, I've, you know, I've been there when Beyonce came rolling through with Jay Z and Shakira and J Lo. How about that one, Shakira J Lo? And there was also uh, I mean you see you see these big what was uh, Lady Gaga was one of the years she comes rolling in. That's cool. But I will say my, my too long in Vegas story, I was, uh, what was the summer of, gosh, middle 2000s, and uh, my man Bucky and I were doing, 
We were calling games. I was doing play-by-play. Co- play. He was doing color for Austin Wranglers Arena Football. Nice. And this was when the Arena Football League really took off. Like, remember Bon Jovi bought a team yeah. and John Elway bought a team. And, you know, Deion Sanders became a part. He never owned anything, but he was a part of the – he was a face of the Austin team as they were trying to expand the league and grow the league. Um, and so, you know, they were t- trying to grow it like the NFL did. So we called the games. We played at the Irwin Center. Uh, had a great time with it. It was good people. But then, like the NFL did – they sent us to the Arena Bowl. Like they paid for everything because this is how the NFL began. They would they wanted people to come cover their Super Bowl, so they would. This is where Radio Row started. They would pay and cover things, bring you out, make sure you have interviews. Uh, I mean, this is how you sell your league. And I mean, I know a lot of other leagues have kind of copycatted that, but that's really where it started. And the Arena Bowl did it, and they sent us out uh, or brought us out uh, as the play-by-play color guys, and got there Wednesday to do shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was the game. I just know by, by Saturday I was out of money because <laughs> I, I mean, we'd have to get up at 4 a.m. to do our show in Vegas. And so you're done by 9 o'clock in the morning. And then what do I going to do all day? I guess I could go back to bed for a while. But you know, I was back and I didn't have – we had three kids. I didn't have a bunch of money. I couldn't I – couldn't, so, I mean, I would just be walking around Vegas. And then uh, – so you couldn't go out to nice restaurants and all this stuff. But uh, they threw it on parties. But that – to your point, and you came back from New Orleans after seven days and got sick. Yeah, the flu. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had the flu. I'm really – I you know, this is going to sound bad the way I'm going to say that. I'm thankful Texas didn't win. Uh, because I don't know what I would have done. You know, I, I hope my body would have. I hope my body would have rejected the illness. I do always get sick the week after football season ends, no matter That's when funny. that is. It's like my body knows it's not allowed to get sick from media days in mid July through whenever the last football game was, uh, and that used to be in December because, like, for you know, 13 years, a team from Texas never made it to the college football playoffs, and then all of a sudden, two in a row. Uh, make it there in my year. In Texas, my, yeah. my year, you know, extends into January. And next year, it may extend into like January twentieth or something like yeah. that. But back when I was on the high school beat, I would always leave the state championships in Arlington and have something sick because there's twelve teams from all over the state up there bringing germs and everything. Um, so this year, it was it was New Orleans that got me. But had Texas made the uh, national championship game in Houston, I was going to be in a bind because I was <laughs> I was I was pretty sick. That's as sick as I've been in in years. The flu got gotcha. you. Yeah, you you wonder your body just kind of holds that off because it knows you can't get sick, and all of a sudden here it comes. Yeah, you would have had if you if Texas had uh, hit a touchdown pass on that last play. Yeah, you'd have had to yeah. figure it out and get down to Houston for a national title game. Gotten everybody sick. Yeah, we'll talk some more Longhorn football coming up. We'll uh, bring up some of the things we heard from our friend John Harris, uh, who was at the Senior Bowl, and his thoughts on some of the draftable Longhorns and where they're headed. We'll also talk some Super Bowl. And uh, yeah, man, uh, I, it was funny. I got to New Orleans when I went over uh, after Saturday. And one of the first people I ran into was our friend Bob Ballou from CBS Austin. Mm-hmm. And I say, what's up, Bob? And he goes, man, I've been here too long. I've been here too long. Because it's like you, they got there on Tuesday. That's yeah. when all the press conferences started. And, and, you know, anybody goes to a city like that, man, four or five days, you're just – It'll beat you down. It'll beat you down. Be, especially <laughs> over, over New Year's and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's – well, because you're in New Orleans, so you got to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to take in, and you got to eat some of that. I mean, by, by four days later, it's like, oh my god, I can't eat another bite, and I, I, I certainly don't want to see another drink. I just want this game to be here, and let's go home. Uh, but that's uh, that's the life of the of the reporter. I like it. Hey, we'll come back. We'll pick up the other conversations. Thank you to Craig Flowers for the tribute to Toby Keith. For the end of the hour, we'll get some who said that going. Mike Craven is here, and uh, we're talking with you on Hook 'Em Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. All 
right, big game tonight at the uh, Moody Center. It's Texas and Iowa State. We talked earlier with our buddy Ari Temkin from Sirius XM Big 12 Radio. Must-win game for Texas uh, if, you're, if you're really looking at the big picture of it. I know it's only February the 6th, but with Iowa, with West Virginia coming next, if you could win, win this game tonight, beat a 12th-ranked Iowa State team who's really you know, in your sixth straight game against a ranked team, Texas 3-2 and two so far. If you could make that 4-2 and two with a West Virginia game coming on Saturday that uh, is a winnable game, as, as far as uh, night off in the Big 12, it's as close as there is. Now, Texas lost to West Virginia way back at the beginning of conference play, so you've got to avenge that. But if you could get to uh, you know, a three-game winning streak headed to that game in Houston, you know, as we heard from uh, – uh, we talked to Jerry Hamilton yesterday, you know, the, the Longhorns, if they go 4-2 and two in this stretch, Mike Craven, you go from out of the tournament to the sixth or seventh line in the tournament that, with those wins. If you put another one on the board, now all of a sudden you're talking about climbing the, the ratings – uh, in college basketball, because that's what it's about. That's what the quad system is for. It's to reward quality wins and even at times quality losses to get, try to get the best 64 teams and then seed them properly. It's about to, who, who you've beaten and who you've beaten has beaten, you know? Which I think is the way to do it. Yes. Um, you know, the, the big win, and I think we've seen it in college football as well in the, in the playoff rankings. It's like who you beat, right? Like, tell me, tell me the best team you, you beat, not necessarily if you lost to a team that maybe you shouldn't have along the way. Uh, but it does feel like all these Big 12 teams, right? Like, you know, except for maybe Houston, Kansas, a couple others that are that are guaranteed in there. Um, these next couple weeks and even the Big 12 tournament are going to decide whether you're a six seed or you're at home or in the NIT, and, and that's going to be a pretty big uh, chasm between the two. Well, and I think one of the things for this Longhorn team, because they had the slow start to conference play and they were, you know, getting used to Dylan DeSue being back as part of the rotation, um, if they continue on this trend and if they just get in the tournament, they're going to be a tough out because they, it, once you get to tournament play, what are you looking for? Guard play, you know, free throw shooting, cre- creativity, uh, you know, at the end of games. Well, you got Max Acemas, you've got D- Dylan DeSue who had the great tournament last year before the injury. You got Tyrese Hunter, uh, Kendall Weaver's coming on. They're the type of team that wins come March uh, because, and they make free throws. Uh, the only the only guy that is going to be the, you know a problem at the free throw line in clutch situations typically is Dylan Mitchell, but Max Acemas is a ninety something percent free throw shooter. He'll have the ball in his hands. Tyrese Hunter's a great free throw shooter. Dylan DeSue as a big as a guy you can trust to walk to the line and make big foul shots. That's the kind of team that wins and goes deep in March uh, because they can. That's what it's about, right? End of game situations. Yeah, no doubt. And um, you know, imagine being a six or seven seed. And like pulling Texas in the first round, or BYU, or any of these, any yeah. of these kind of these teams that are kind of hanging around 500 uh, in the Big 12. But yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the the value of basketball, right? I mean, that, that's the cool thing about college basketball is you can use those first couple of months to build some chemistry, get the kinks out. And as long as you're playing your best at the end, and you get hot. All of a sudden, you can go do something that uh, makes the whole season a success. Yep, and that's what it's judged on. It should be right. It's like the NFL. I mean, whatever you do in the regular season, it's kind of where the Cowboys are. At 12 and 5, great. Well, what are you doing in January? In, in basketball, for sure. I mean, the overall record, no one remembers what it was. It's what do you do in March? And that's where the great coaches make their legacies. That's where the teams – and that's why Rodney Terry, for those who still question, why they hire Rodney Terry? Well, because he took the team almost to the Final Four, and if Dylan DeSue hadn't gotten hurt, they probably would have gone to the Final Four. Uh, no Texas you – know, Rick Barnes, 20 years ago, last time this program went to the Final Four. So you couldn't not hire Rodney Terry uh, because that's really what it's about. And, then, and I know Coach Terry, if he would tell you, he feels like this team's getting better. And last year's team got better as the year went on. Once they got through the distraction of Chris Beard and all that went on, 
boy, by middle of February, into the end of February, and into the Big 12 tournament, they were playing their best basketball. And, again, when I say Dylan DeSue injury, if he doesn't hurt his foot in practice leading up to that Miami game, I think they go to the Final Four down yeah. in Houston. And, I mean, I you know I grew up around uh, Texas basketball my whole life. Grandfather had tickets, always got to go use those. It's a lot of fun. Moody's incredible, by the way. That's a, that's a fun place to go. What a difference. Basketball. Oh, man, it's night and day. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's one of the reasons that, you know, Barnes didn't stay you know, at Texas, like he was having great regular season, but his teams weren't That's right. getting better. Like they were, they were better in January than they were in March, right? They kind of tailed off towards the end. They didn't have the success in March. And all of a sudden we look back at his tenure as not overly successful, despite all the players he had. Um, you'd rather be the other way where you're frustrated in January, you're frustrated in December, but as February and March come on, you start to see the team that maybe the coaches envision they're playing their best basketball and they go, you know, on one of those weird runs. Yeah. We mentioned this earlier too, that, uh, Coach Terry revealed yesterday on a Zoom that uh, Doge Balbe has come back to be part of the team. Like he's, like he's not a, a officially member of the staff. He's just kind of offering his support because he's retired from pro basketball after you know 14 years over in Turkey or wherever he was playing. But uh, I'm assuming he's there to help with their defense and uh, work with the players on defense because that was their biggest issue that I saw early in November and December. And if those are the kind of things Roddy Terry's doing, bringing in players like that, hey, man, help them, help them out with some on-ball defense, get up here and show them how, to, how the Turkish prison brings it, to, which was his nickname back in the day. Um, one of the better nicknames. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was one of the better defenders. So I like that. And you're right about that because, I mean, I've done this, this job a long time. That was the knock on Rick Barnes. And Rick Barnes at times would say, my job is to develop these players. Um, you know, my job is to, to, to demand that Kevin Durant rebound and work on defense and work on these things. He can't leave here not a better player, which is a, an admirable thing to say. But at the same time, the fans are saying, no, your job is to hang banners. Yeah. That's the job. In March. In March. Yeah. Hang banners. Uh, and, you know, I think Rick Barnes struggled with that because I do think his physical brand kind of wore his teams down. That by the end of the year, they were beaten up and uh, they'd get in the tournament, they'd have a hard time scoring, and they always had foul shot problems. And I love Rick Barnes to death, but, uh, you know, there's just a style. And you're right. I mean, well, Rodney Terry's only got a one year sample, and so we have to see it. But that is true. That's what builds legacies in college basketball for coaches is March. Uh, and that was what Chris Beard was saying when he got here. I want to be a Monday night program. We want to be cutting down the nets on a Monday night. That's when they play the national title game. You know, that's what the goal is now. And I think college football will become more like that with mm -hmm. uh, the 12-team playoff, that uh, you know, getting in will be easier for teams like pro for being a part of it, like, like, like Texas. But at the same time, it's what you do when you get there. Uh, and this is the NFL. This is what the Cowboys are struggling with. Mike McCarthy has fixed the Jason Garrett roller coaster. They're winning 12 games a season. But it don't matter. Uh, what are they doing in January? Same with Lamar Jackson. And this is why, you know, Brock Purdy, in a lot of people's minds, have already surpassed guys like Tua and Lamar because he's already done this. He's put his team on his back and taken them to a Super Bowl. Um, you know, that's, that's the goal. Whether that's fair or not, it really is how you're judged and your legacies are built in this game. And obviously Patrick Mahomes is already a legend because of what he does. And, you know, the legend keeps beating Josh Allen, keeps beating Lamar Jackson. And that's a, you know, that, but that's the beauty of sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it reductive at times, right? I mean, like, I don't think any of us think Robert Ory is a better basketball player than Charles Barkley, you know, or uh, Eli Manning's a better quarterback than Dan Marino. Uh, but when things are even, right, what you, you're going you're gonna to always take the guy with the championship. And I think as a fan, uh, as you mentioned, you know, yeah, you want your players to get drafted, and it's cool that Kevin Durant went to Texas, and, but you wanna, you'd rather win championships. You'd rather win national championships. And you don't have to do either or. Uh, but if you are, if you do get to pick one, you'd rather your team be uh, at its best at this time of year into March than than you know in November, 
January and then get more. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We'll see with Rodney Terry. It does feel like this one's trending back to being a really good team, and uh, that win at TCU was a big step. They need to build on it tonight at seven o'clock with the uh, a and very had good. To put together a whole new team. I, okay. You know, so like I think in the transfer portal age, we're going to see that more oh, and more. Chemistry's as well. hard. I mean, ask ask John Calipari, who's yeah. having a hell of a time. Yeah. You know, he was the first one doing all these one and duns, and now it's portal on top of one and duns. Yeah, chemistry and building the chemistry is key. And I've said this to not excuse Rodney Terry or make, it, make an excuse for him, but not having Dylan DeSue until Christmas was big because he is the ball goes through him. And you didn't have him to work on this and build chemistry with brand-new players that are new to him, they're new to each other. And so the early part of conference was a struggle, and they were trying to find and define roles. I think the roles are defining. Now it's going to be about consistency. they got to bring that 40 minutes. they got to build on what they did Saturday or in, TC, in Fort Worth. If they can, they're going to be a team that plays in the tournament and maybe, like last year, makes a run because they have a lot of the, the ingredients to be a very good tournament team. Uh, I think about this one, I think of Rick Barnes. Because I mean, Shaka Smart never won a tournament game right. in five years. Didn't matter what he never won a tournament game. Chris Beard won a tournament game in year one when he got here, and then we know what happened. Rick Barnes didn't make it out of the first weekend with DJ Augustine and Kevin Durant as <laughs> his go-to players. Think about that. He didn't get out of the first weekend, and you had KD. That's when the real pressure came on on uh, on Barnes because, like, really, you can't even get to the second weekend with those two dudes. I mean, they. I mean, Kevin Durant's going to the Hall of Fame. DJ Augustine played, you know, 15 years of pro basketball. Because uh, he was such a stickler for defense, and he never focused on offense. It's like those offensive guys could win you a lot of games here, Coach. I mean, you could win tournament games just letting those guys run pick and roll, and uh, let the other 80. team, yeah, go score eighty, and uh, you know, work on defense all year, and then hey, let's go, let's go work on this. But uh, uh, it's a struggle. But they are. Fun. I think this is going to be a fun team to watch. I know for Texas fans. Uh, up to this point, it's been kind of frustrating because uh, stop and start, stop and start. What are they? I think the best basketball is to come, and I really think Max Acemus and stepping up. And because look, the other thing, Max Acemus is new to this team, mm-hmm. and you know they he needed a game like he had the other day where he took over the basketball game. That now that the rest of that roster now looks like goes, dude, that dude is yeah. that's a badass right there. Because you have to earn that. Yes, right. Like, you can't be the guy who just walks into a new team and starts shooting the ball twenty five times a game or something. That's you right. Know, like. I, I mean, maybe you could if you have, like, a Kobe Bryant-type personality, but, like, most people don't have that. Most people want to get along with their teammates and work their way into uh, the team and play team basketball and, and not be the guy who's sticking out and getting fingers pointed at him. But this is the time of year. I, I, I would imagine Terry went to him, you know, and was like, hey, man, we recruited you to be the dude on the last four minutes of the game. Like, that is, that is the time That's you're you supposed time. to take over. That's why we brought you to the University of Texas. Don't feel selfish. Like, you're helping the team by being that guy. I think that, again, with the portal, I think it's one of those things that takes longer now because you don't have a full – you don't get to work on this in April and May and June and July. That's right. A lot of times you're not getting there until a couple weeks before the semester starts. Uh, and so it, it takes a little time to build that. Uh, but he's coming on in this team. Like you said, I think the, the roles are being defined a little bit. Yeah, and as we said at the beginning of the year, Tyrese Hunter was kind of running the point and Max Ace was just playing the two guard. They've flip, flipped that, and now Max has the ball. And think about what that does. When you're running two-man game with Dylan DeSue – you know, the defender's got a hedge on him 30 feet away from the basket. I mean, you can't lag. And so when you're setting that high screen, I mean, the defense has to be out there because he will come off of that screen from 27 feet and nail it. I mean, that's what he does. And that opens the floor. So now the floor spacing is better for guys like Tyrese and Dylan Mitchell on back cuts and uh, Kendall Weaver and all that he's doing. Uh, you, you really like where that is. And that's really all the things they've been trying to, okay, let's, we, maybe we thought Tyrese Hunter was going to be with the ball in his hands. Now it needs to be Max and let Tyrese play off of him. Uh, but by the way, there's also the chemistry part of this, that Dylan Mitchell and Tyrese Hunter went to the draft process last year and what they tell Tyrese, we need you with the ball in your hand. 
Well, so now he's got to swallow that and say, you know what, this is what's best for the team now. I came back to work on this, and now they're giving it to Max. So there's that. And Dylan was told, we need to see you playing the, the, the wing and developing a jump shot and those kind of things. Well, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's a liability when he's playing the three, so they have to put him at the four, which is not what the NBA wants or it's best for his career, but they have to do it for the good of this team. And all that has to be worked through. All, and that's what I think the early struggles are about. Now, again, there's still a lot of basketball to go, but I think this team has a pretty high ceiling uh, if they continue to build like they have and define the roles. All right, we'll pick that up on the other side. I do want to talk some football with Mike, too, because you're headed to College Station tomorrow. I, I think am. a lot of our audience would say, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but you're headed to College Station. Uh, there is a Steve Sarkeesian news conference tomorrow, which we'll preview because it is National Signing Day tomorrow, which is incredible. It's almost like if, if, a, if the tree falls in the woods, does anybody, does anybody hear it? I mean, does it actually happen? We'll, we'll pick that up on the other side. But coming next, it's going to be who said that, some audio from around the country, including a, uh, a, a, a prodigy in the sports casting realm, Mike, a prodigy in sports casting. We'll play some of that for you coming back. Hook them up with Ian Rodby. Ooh, and they saying that. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Who said it time? Some audio from around the uh, sporting landscape. And who said it? It had, uh, Can we get it going right here? I want to play this for you, Ty, uh, Ty and Mike. Mike Craven is joining us. Senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, author of a new yet-to-be-titled coffee table book about college football in the great state. And uh, I need to play this for you, though. This is interesting. This is a college basketball coach. And uh, who said this? Let's fire it up, Ty. Coach, we, we heard a little bit of that, the chant that was stopped for a while and it came back for a little bit tonight. Did you hear it? Did... Yeah, no, I did. I, I heard it when I was walking out and, and I was not very happy. And, um, you know, uh, we will get there when that is no longer a thing uh, because we will care more about KSU than anybody else. All right, so do you know who that is? Yeah, it's Coach Tang. That's Jerome Tang. And it's kind of like the, the – Well, I started to – Whoa, whoa. It's kind of like sorry. a parallel of the, uh, the upside down, you know, horns down thing. Because what Jerome Tang is trying to get his – this is at K-State. K-State upset Kansas in overtime last night uh, to end their four-game losing streak. And he doesn't want his student body to be chanting FKU. FKU is what he doesn't want. And they actually say it, the F word, uh, as their chant. He wants them to be cheering for Kansas State not cheering against the rival, which he says eventually we'll get there when we start cheering for our basketball team, not saying F the other team, which is what, you know, horns down is. It's a kind of F Texas, which is, you know, it, great. If you want to, you know, say your rival's name and stick it on cars and make T-shirts about it, I think that sets more more says more about you than them. I think you're a little, a little bit in your head at that point, if that's you're gonna, instead of cheering for your own team, Mike. Yeah, it's like when they say overrated, when they chant overrated at the end. It's like, well, you're saying that you stink too because like, you're, you're beating a bad team. You should be like equally rated, and we're like awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, the horns down thing, it's going to be fun to see like kind of how that, how, how that still exists with like Baylor and TCU and Texas Tech. If, we, if we're watching a football game on a Saturday and Tech scores against you know, Kansas and you see fans doing it kind of like the way uh, you see it now. So uh, I, I, did you see Del Conte uh, on Twitter had kind of talked about like thanks for the donation for the horns down shirts from yeah. TCU and and so like yeah I, I think it's good like you got to embrace that stuff just roll with it and uh, use it as a as a badge of honor that that teams are are thinking about you even when they're not playing you or thinking about you when they win a game rather than thinking about themselves for winning the for winning the game well and it, look it's it's going to sound like Austin radio but I I do believe 
most fans, because we do this show every morning, most Texas fans don't care. No. no. They, I mean, they, they don't care. They really don't. I mean, it's not a huge deal to do horns down. Um, now, I mean, and Rodney Terry took a lot of heat nationally because he got mad at the, the Central Florida players for doing it. And I'll defend Rodney, and I don't think he was as mad about horns down. He was mad about the timing, sure. and he thought it was kind of poor sportsmanship, and he said so. I mean, it wasn't you – know, they could have been flipping them off or they could have been – they were kind of taunting Texas in the handshake line is what he thought they were doing. I do believe it was less that he was mad about horns down. I also think he was mad that his own team didn't react to it a little bit differently. But at the same time, I mean, that, that's what incites fights and things. When you're taunting the team in the handshake line, that's a problem. And, and then the whole thing at BYU where Texas got a national rap that they, that they made them take the T-shirts off, which Texas didn't at all. It was BYU that did it and admitted it. But I do think there's the national narrative that it really bothers Texas and it really bothers the players, when in fact it really doesn't. Yeah. Well, I think What that bothers Texas that I found is if players don't stay and do with their, put their horns up for the eyes of Texas at the end <laughs> of the game. Yes. That really bothers Texas fans, and maybe and rightfully so. That's a problem. What do you mean? You didn't stay for the eyes of Texas. Uh, you know, the horns down for the opponents, I don't think it bothers them yeah. as much. Yeah, well, I think the national brand of Texas, uh, the, the stereotype is that it's a soft program. Right? Sure. The city of Austin uh, and its politics kind of gets that, that rap as well, being the capital city and and everything, and so I think any time that there is a hint of that, the the fans of, of and, na- and the national media, everybody's going to jump on that and kind of lean into that stereotype. Uh, but like you, I mean, I I know a ton of Longhorns, right? Grew up around it. I I've never heard somebody really complain about it in a in a real way, um, other than in those situations where it's like blatantly in a player's face or yeah. something like that. Uh, all right, one other piece of sound I wanted to play. We played it a little bit earlier, but it's a Bears repeat. We may have found a young prodigious sportscaster, Mike. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. This is an eight-year-old Jeremiah. Make sure I get his name right because he's 11. No, that's eight. He's 11 years old, and his name is uh, Jeremiah Fennel. Jeremiah Fennel. He's from Las Vegas, and listen to him talking to uh, Nate Burleson from the NFL Network last night on uh, when and why and how he chose to become a professional sportscaster at 11 years old. Well, I started to do this at the age of seven years old because I wasn't able to play sports due to some medical issues, but I still like the sports environment, so I decided to hone my craft in journalism at the age of seven, and I started my YouTube channel. And yes, I do think that I can um, keep this as a career because I do still love the sport and I do know a lot about it, so I think that interviewing people could be a long, a long career for me. Oh my goodness, that was amazing. MJD, you in trouble, bro. Right, I got go. one more there question you for you. He's coming for all our jobs, Mike. Now listen to this. This is a long four and a half minute clip and hopefully you can find it but we won't play the whole thing he got up on the podium and listened to him interviewing Patrick Mahomes and how good he is at interviewing hi Patrick, I mean, hi Patrick. my name is Jeremiah I'm an 11 year old local journalist and I'm here with the NFL Network it is an honor and privilege to be speaking with you today it's great meeting you Jeremiah so you know what's crazy I had a whole list of questions that I wanted to ask you but now that I'm up here on the podium I don't even want to ask them anymore because let's be real this is your fourth time going to the Super Bowl which means that this is your fourth opening night event and if you look around all of these reporters waiting to interview you I want to have a little bit of fun first before all the chaos begins so is that okay let's do it man so I want to build a fantasy team but on two conditions the rules are simple we both have you as our quarterback since you're one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Mm-hmm. And the second rule is that you can't pick anyone that's on the current Chiefs roster, but you can pick players that are current or all-time players in the NFL. Okay. So rules, Sounds good. Rules good? Sounds good. All right. So who's going to pick first? Me or you? You got first. All right. Uh, let's do running back. I'll pick Barry Sanders. Oh, right. Barry Sanders? Do I, you took uh, – I'm doing Earl Campbell. Okay. 
<laughs> Wide receiver number one. Um. All right, Randy there we go, Ty. We're going to run out of time, but I, I would, I, I, we'll put that out, and I think everybody should go watch it. But they go all through all the positions, and this kid just nails it. And he, he's so calm talking to Patrick Mahomes, he, and it, it shows pretty clearly he knows football. I mean, he rattles off all the – he picks Rod – at one point he picks Rod Woodson in the corner because he was mad at Patrick Mahomes for picking Dion to be his starting corner. And he said, well, I've, a lot of the receivers that I've talked to say they had a hard time with Rod Woodson, so I'm taking Rod Woodson. Yeah. I'm like, this kid's 11, Craven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that Mahomes put, uh, picked Moss as his, as his top wide receiver. I am long time on the Randy Moss greatest wide receiver of all time training. Oh, he well, he's the t- you know, best player at Jerry Rice. But at the same time, yes, there was never a receiver with the, the, the package of gifts. I just hope that there's a media business by the time that kid gets old enough to uh, I know. get a real paycheck. He's really good. Yeah, he can have my job. That guy's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, he took, of course, uh, Ty – the Tyler Rose from East Texas, and that's right where uh, Patrick Mahomes is from. Mm-hmm. Uh, White House, not far from Tyler, correct? Yeah, about 40 miles. White House High. Uh, all right, we'll come back. When we do the fabulous fifth hour, we'll talk plenty of Texas football. Steve Sarkeesian set to have an availability tomorrow. Uh, we will talk about that in Mike's headed to College Station because the Aggies are going to actually have some news tomorrow on signing day, I believe. We'll talk about that coming next here to start off the fabulous fifth hour on a Tuesday. 